0: Well, good, morning. Good, morning. good morning, Welcome to cassid my name 's Danny, and I am one of the pastors here and uh, i 'm launching a brand new series with you this weekend that i 've told you nothing about completely on purpose, so just deal with it it 's going to be fine for some of you you 're like yes, for others you 're like the base is back Either way, I promise you it's gonna be it 's going to be okay. Uh, w- this series uh, came kind of a, out of a, a couple different situations that I found myself in. Uh, Supporting Christians who were going through hard times, and I started to ask them, well, well, how did you get here? And they said, well, it was actually some of my extended family or a coworker or even another member of the church that that told me some of these cliches. And I'm just really bothered now because during the prayer series that we just did, uh, it feels like a lot of that isn't always very helpful. And I thought, that's really an interesting feedback. And then I heard it again, and then I heard it again, and then I heard it again. And so I wanted to do something that was very in real time, something that, that I think is going to help us as a body grow closer with each other, and obviously closer with the Lord, but also hopefully closer with our community and even a little bit ourselves. So what I want to do to start is I want to pray because as you know, we just wrapped up a prayer series. And my hope is that this series takes a lot of what we learned there and actually implements it with really tangible things that we can grab onto and apply to our lives. Now, I also want to highlight that tonight we have uh, a prayer and worship service, the first one we've ever held in this building. So if you would like to come back and experience that, I'll be here. uh, And we're going to prep for the series and also just bring all the stuff that God brought up and highlighted during the last series and uh, just see what he wants to do with it. So uh, will you pray with me, and then I'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for every person in this room and every person watching online right now. We thank you that, that you, you orchestrated those steps, that you have them here whether they're just visiting or here with a different agenda than actually learning about you or here because they're uh, wanting to support a friend or they just had nothing else to do this Sunday morning. You know, God, exactly why they're here and you know exactly how to impact them where they are. We are so grateful that we can uh, just sit in this time and be curious together about um, what's helpful, what's not helpful, when it comes to following you and the things you want us to accomplish. And so we just lift this time up to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I wanna start off by recognizing that uh, today is is gonna be a little bit of a mixed bag with how this comes across. Uh, Kesset is a place for people who are spiritually curious And we say that a lot, and most of us, I think, are now understanding that. Some of us are still kind of cringes around that. You're like, wait, we're supposed to be people who provide answers as Christians. And so when you say curious, it's as if we don't know all the answers. And I just want to say with great love and respect, you're absolutely right, that's what I'm saying, because we don't have all the answers, and that's part of the problem. I find myself in a lot of rooms, difficult rooms, with uh, people going through crisis, people going through... Uh, consequences, people walking out the loss of loved ones, or or even sometimes uh, grieving things that happened years and years and years ago, and I have learned over the 20 plus years that I've been doing this, that the most powerful thing many times I can do in the room is just keep my mouth shut, and when forced to answer a question, say, you know what, I don't know. Usually there's a group of people in situations like that that are built maybe more like me or maybe more like some of you, and they just want to provide answers. They want to bring stability. It's all out of good care. It's all out of good heart. They just want to say, this is what it is, yes. And then there's usually another group of people who are like, oh, you haven't thought this through. Slow down a little bit. And it's no. And oftentimes they will bring me in the room uh, and sort of like catapult me back and forth between, "No, Pastor Danny's here, now you're going to learn. And then I look across and they're like, no, no, that's what I thought. Pastor Danny's here, now you're gonna learn. And then they asked me for this input or this advice and I've learned over the years to go, wow, that's really good input or I've never thought about that. I, I, I don't know. And it's not that I don't have an opinion. It's that I haven't traveled with these people outside uh, their lives and outside their experiences, and I have more questions than I do answers, and it has saved me many times. Now, I don't want to pretend like I've arrived in this special space. It has It is because of great consequences that I've paid, where I gave advice to people that turned out to be horrible, that they actually didn't just take as my advice, they actually took it as the church's advice, and even worse, they took it as God's advice. And then when these terrible things happen, you know what they do? They don't blame me. They don't blame the church. They just go straight to God. They're like, well, God gives terrible advice. Clearly, he doesn't know what's going on. Well, who told you that? Well, Pastor Danny did. Well, why is Pastor Danny the center of your questions and answers? Why does he weigh in and suddenly know all the answers? Well, because the church said that who's ever on stage under a light with a microphone obviously is someone who's willing to know stuff. (laughs) they are willing to know stuff. They're just not actually willing to share what it is that God's doing in their story without understanding everybody's story around them. I think, and that's where I'm going to start, that's why Jesus is the real answer to all the questions that we've been having. And I realize that's sort of a vague and could even feel a little bit placating answer. Well, the answer to all your problems is Jesus. Everything's better. And it's not. But Jesus himself, when he enters the scene, is asked all these same kind of questions. He's asked, put in all these same kind of situations. And so Jesus, over and over and over in the Bible, ends many of his conversations with, oh, and by the way, you should follow me. 22 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus ends a conversation with either asking directly or reminding someone to follow him. He's like, oh, that situation seems really difficult. Here's an amazing parable. And by the way, you should follow me. Oh, that situation seems horrible. I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to be sad with you. Then I'm going to give you some insight into how the world works. And oh, by the way, you should follow me. Oh, you're a stranger that I don't know at all, just in a boat fishing but God has something for your life. You should get out and follow me. Oh, you're a tax collector. You, you at this time have a job that's basically fully corrupt and you abuse your own people. You know what you should do? What should I do, Jesus? You know, you should follow me. Over and over and over, this is what he's imploring people to do. And so over and over and over, people have to make a choice. Some people he asked in like a general sense. And I think this is really important because this still applies today. Here's a couple of verses of Jesus asking people in a general sense. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. It's this very general sense of people's, uh, uh, the question that is being asked over people's lives of who will they follow. Luke 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So you have, you have a spoken to them, now you have an anyone, and then John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. He's not specific, he's just saying, those people who know me follow me, and those people who want to know me follow me, and you as the church, you as, as the living body of what God is supposed to be doing here in this place, you are all universally called to follow Jesus. The universal call to follow Jesus is for all believers everywhere. And this is unbelievably important. The reason it's so important is because I believe a lot of Christians flame out quickly because they refuse to accept that they have an overall part to play and a call to respond. They just start checking boxes. They attend on Sundays or they watch online. They maybe have a 10 minute quiet time in the morning and then that's it. Those are the boxes they've checked. And they're like, but the actual work's somebody else's responsibility. I don't think that's what the text is showing us. Now some people have that general sense, all of us, and other people have a very specific sense of calling. My favorite verse around somebody's specific calling is in Mark chapter 10. And it says, as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And then he lists off all of these commandments that any good Jewish uh, believer would understand. Do not murder, check. Do not commit adultery, check. Do not steal. Check. Do not bear false witness. Check. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then immediately the man stepped forward with his mental list of checked boxes and he says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. This is his I got this moment. This is where a lot of Christians live. And so respectfully, I just want to untangle some of that and let you know that you don't got anything. Actually, some of the very worst spouses I've ever had to counsel. <laughs> that was an interesting phrasing. Some of the worst spouses I've ever had the privilege of spending time with <laughs> in order to help their marriages get better are when one of the spouses is like, I got this. Like my mom and dad have been married for 40 years. My, my grandparents have been married for, for you know, 60 years. And this, I got this. I don't understand why she's so crazy. Can you fix her? <laughs> and the tone is just this like, idea of, listen, I haven't cheated on her. right? I, I haven't lied to her. I certainly haven't murdered her, right? I mean, there's four or five other things that I've done. I'm good to go. I got this. Just make her better. And I've got to spend time with them and let them know you, you, you've, you've lost at the beginning. Your marriage is not your parents' marriage. Your story is not your other uh, friend's story. You are responsible for you, both in a general sense, when it comes to God's calling, that's everybody, and in a specific sense, when it comes to what you are supposed to do with your life. It says that Jesus is about to respond to him and I love this phrase and I don't want to skip past it. It says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. Now, someone's writing this, right? The, this is Mark writing. So Mark is writing this. So Mark is clearly there and watching and experiencing this. So there is a pause between when Jesus opens him up to realize the thing he holds dear, and then a pause when Jesus is about to speak into that thing he opened up. And it's so, it's so pregnant, that pause, if you will, that everybody in the room is like, oh, something's going to happen. But look at the love of Jesus as he speaks to this man. I just want to pause and let you know that if you have a specific calling, which, by the way, you do, Jesus will never weigh in lightly when sharing with you about your path. He will never just jump in, pick you apart, and bully you into becoming the person you want to be. He will love you into it. He will make an offer inside your story, just like he makes in everybody else's, for you to follow him. But most likely, when it comes to a specific path, he will first ask about that specific thing in your life that's in the way. Jesus looks at him and loves him, and then it says 10, and then this is what he said to him. You lack one thing. One thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And then there's another pause. There has to be. There's a pause when the crowd goes, oh, Jesus just asked him specifically to be one of their family. One of the movement but he called out something in this man's life that he had never called out in anyone else's story. And it shattered the man's confidence and his willingness to follow. For it says in verse 22 that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I have heard this passage preached many times and usually it's preached about money and how dangerous money is. And especially if you're a church, how dangerous it is for you to be wealthy and not give that money to the church. It's beautiful spiritual manipulation. It works a little bit, but then it gets old, and those people usually end up feeling rather abused, frankly, as they should. This verse actually has very little to do with money. And by the way, one more spiritual manipulation. People like to speak into especially wealthy people's lives that the root of money or the love of money is the root of all evil. That's actually not what the verse says. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not all evil. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy there's nothing wrong with 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 having that gift and the ability to use your resources that way when it is wrong is when it affects your life like it affected this young man's see this is not a verse about wealth or prosperity it's a verse about following that's what the verse is about to be exact this specific man's call to follow a call that looks a bit different than the others who had been called up to that point, a call to follow that was custom built to address exactly what it was supposed to, his love of money and possessions. This is what the verse is about. It's about the idea that we are all called to follow in general. You can't escape that. And we are all called to follow differently in different ways. But in order to follow Christ where you're supposed to, he's first going to ask you to remove the things specifically in your life that keeps him from following your specific path. In this young man's case, it apparently was his love of possessions. For he could not not have those things and have Jesus. And so he had to make a choice. Now probably some people in the room, this is very, I mean, this is like right up your alley. You're like, oh, that's me, I wrestled with that a lot. But a lot of other people, you're like, well, I'm not wealthy and I don't really have that particular problem, great. Then that's, that's scary for you because you should know exactly what your problem is. It could be your reputation. It could be how you, you market yourself online. It could be up uh, your, your, uh, your um, the respect you desire. It could be your education. It could be your family. It could be your intellect. It could be all kinds of things. It could be your fitness, right? It could be your piety. How well you are at being humble is one that I've come across a lot recently. Like, I don't know anybody as humble as me. Why isn't the world full of more humble people like me? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is such a scary conversation. My answer is, I don't know. I don't know why no one can see the world as, as humble and, and through the lens of servanthood like you can, ma'am. I also don't know why you have no friends. Oh, wait, yes, I do. So, (laughs) uh, they don't go here anymore, so you don't gotta worry about that, but... But my point is, my point is, you have a specific calling, and in a greater sense, this verse is highlighting that people are often called to a very specific path and even projects. Allow me to say this. From my experience, the most discouraged Christians are often those walking down specific paths they weren't called to. They're people who decided to, for instance, go into ministry when God called them to go into business, but they love the piety so much that they decided not to go into the business God had called them to, and they decided to stay in ministry leadership and they're terrible at it. And everything's a business plan. And you're like, hey, real quick, shouldn't you be in a boardroom somewhere? And it's like, no, I shouldn't be in a boardroom. I'm in a boardroom from Jesus. And it's like, that's not how this works exactly. So many different people find themselves in the wrong space, not because they heard God wrong, but because they weren't willing to sacrifice the specific thing that kept them from their specific calling. I don't know who that's for, but it's probably for all of you except for just a few people who are super humble and are like, oh, this is so good for everybody else. (laughs) Now, if we are called to follow, both generally and specifically, then of course, how do we execute that following, how we execute that following would seem a matter of uh, great importance. So if we're called to follow in this larger way and this specific way, how we actually do that is really important, and the Bible speaks to it. A very famous uh, verse in Matthew, this is what it describes. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. To me, this is an amazing picture of what it means to actually follow. You have first the narrow, ro- the narrow road life. This means Jesus remains in the lead the entire time. He determines all the starts and stops, lefts and rights, ups and downs. He determines the pace, which if you're someone like me, is always too slow. Always. Now for some of you, it's very different. For some of you, Jesus is always moving too fast. You're like, Jesus, why don't you slow down? Why don't you just experience creation? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Let's go, there's stuff to do. For others, I'm like, Jesus, why don't you move a little faster? I've seen all this. And he's like, look at this bird I made. And I'm like, awesome, I don't care. (laughs) Jesus on the narrow road is frustrating. He stops during the middle of the day and does campfires. Nobody does campfires in the middle of the day. At night, when you're supposed to campfire, sometimes he moves. Let's just keep going. He does what he wants, and you keep pace. And it's never your pace. That's the narrow road life. The wide road life... I've heard many times people, especially preachers, and I, I, I hate it because it's, so, it's such a poor theology, but they're like, the wide road is where God isn't. There is nowhere that God isn't. The only difference between the wide road life and the narrow road life is that the narrow road is only wide enough for Jesus in front and you stuck behind. The wide road life, when you decide Jesus' pace is too slow or he takes a right and you wanna go left, you just go around him. You just move around him. I live often on the narrow road. I am too driven for my own good. I have too much vision that isn't really vision. It's just me excited about life and all the possibilities that I can see. And many times I like start my morning off on the narrow road and then I see an exit and I'm like, well that looks good. I'll catch you up at the mountains. And then Jesus ends up on the wide road with me but now I'm beside him, which is always awkward. Cause I'm like, don't you like this idea that we're doing? And he goes, it's okay. It'll work, right? I don't know, he says. I need a yes or a no, God. He's like, well, let's get back to the narrow road. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need that kind of yes or no. I'm going to scooch around you here just a little bit. I'm going to run up ahead and see what's up there. At night, when I get nervous about the decisions I made during the day, I'm going to pray before I go to bed and let you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know you're wide road living. If the only thing you do at night is pray Jesus finds you with your spiritual flat tire, your emotional flat tire, and like, can you please just come and fix these tires? I promise I'll follow you back to the narrow road. And he always does, and often I still don't. The wide road is an easier path than the narrow road, but it is not profitable in the end, although it is certainly more convenient and self-gratifying. So the question then becomes, how do we hear both the universal and specific calls to follow God and stay on the narrow path under his giving guidance and leadership? How do we do that? How do we listen generally, And how do we listen specifically, and how do we not exit onto the wide road that life is convincing us is normal, when instead we could be focused upon where Jesus is and where he's leading us? The answer is simply we train. That's what we do. We use this book right here, and we train. This is why it's what we talk about. These aren't my ideas. These aren't a generation before me, or five generations before, or 50 generations before. These are God's ideas for how we are supposed to live our lives. We are supposed to train. Second Timothy, out of this book 3, 16, and 17, says this about itself. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It goes on in Romans 15 to say, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, we use scripture and spirit to define and design lives that are full of following. That's why the church is built on that. Scripture and spirit. This is where this new series, That's Not Helpful, begins to reveal its true purpose this is where what the series about becomes very evident so i want to say this with great respect but also a, a little bit of confrontation so i'll put it on the screen that most christians are either poorly trained or untrained altogether and that's because most christians and most churches function in a way that once you reach sort of a spiritual equilibrium you're good I don't know if you know this or not, you'll start to see it more often, but if you new, move to a new school or, or to a new neighborhood or uh, you know, to a new job, one of the things that people generally try to do right away is uh, make sure they're not noticed but noticed enough. They wanna somehow find that, that middle space. They don't wanna be the president of the HOA in a new neighborhood, but they definitely don't wanna be the new neighbor that's getting cited all the time. The people do the same thing in church. They definitely don't wanna be the pastor. I mean, that's awkward but they don't really want to be the, the people the church is always talking about serving and helping and, and, and giving a helping hand to. They just want to be kind of somewhere in that, that middle equilibrium, basically that middle ground where they are respected without any responsibility. Like, I don't want you to know what I'm struggling with, but I want you to know I'm here if you need anything. <laughs> I don't want to receive any advice, but I got a lot to give. This is where it's most apparent. Not in their lifestyles, but when they are being asked, once they reach that that middle ground, by other Christians that are trying to learn, usually, or people outside the church that have heard, oh, you you go to church, you believe in a God who's real, you pray. Well, at night, when my spiritual flat tires happen, I pray all the time. I have a very strong prayer life. That's when I creep back onto the narrow road. Well, then tell me this, Christian. Christian. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And then we as Christians, for some reason, because we live in that middle ground, feel like we actually are able to impart advice. The worst advice in my life has been given entirely unsolicited from fellow Christians many, many times. And I think if you start to recall back Some of the worst advice, if you grew up in church, has also been given the same way. It's as if we teach people to think, well, I know Jesus calls us all universally, and that he called me to this thing specifically, so clearly I'm now qualified to speak into anything and everything I want to. In other words, I'll put it on the screen, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, everyone should feel free to follow me as often as they can. This is our vibe, and you guys know it's true. This is the reputation that we as Christians have. We are famous for all of our yeses and our no's, our black and our white answers. We are famous for walking into a situation and bringing clarity of our own creation. This usually starts off with a statement like, you know, I'm really feeling led by the Lord too. Because it's not my responsibility, although I do hope you respect me, but if you don't respect me, it's God's fault. I'm feeling led by the Lord to boldly speak out against this thing, or to boldly stand up and say yes. But it's not my responsibility, it's God's calling on my life. So if you don't like these words, because you didn't, unlike Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler, feel my love, you felt my judgment, you felt my fist, you felt my emotion. You felt my outrage at the sin for which you hold in your life that I clearly don't because I've never shared it with anybody. If you feel that, it's not, it's not me. It's God's fault. This is the entire reason why training is incredibly important for followers of Christ. Because as we go out into the world, people are gonna ask us because of the church and the God we believe in. They are going to ask us for some of the light we claim to carry within the darkness that we all live. But many times we just burn them with it. We don't actually show them anything. We forget that, and I'll put it up here, very little in a human being's life plays itself out in black or white, yes and no scenarios. Very, very little. This is why the only people it seems like I've been asking advice of lately, not my whole life, but lately, are like people over 75. People over 75, they, they seem to have figured something out. They, they, they don't reply quickly. They, they seem to ask different questions before they, they get those answers. Although I know I frustrated some of you. I got an email immediately from Thursday from a 72-year-old. He said, I guess it's three more years before I can help you. And I said, yes, that's true, because you are the reason I raised the age from 70 to 75. (laughs) But I really just believe there's something about season of life. There's something about experiences. And yes, of course, you can learn from your children, your peers, from, from people of all ages. But I think there is something about people who know they don't know much. I had a man around that age walk me out of Thursday service and he goes, man, this is such a great series. And I thought he was gonna say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up there. you know. I and he goes to me, I just realized I just don't have enough training in my life. And his wife just smiled at him with these eyes that told me that she just adored him. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I just, I just don't know. I don't know if I spend enough time in the word. And he went on and on and on and I said, I wonder if one of the characteristics of what it means to be trained is realizing you never will have enough training. And he just looked at me and got emotional, and we hugged, and I sent him on his way. He's a person in my life that I want to listen to who, even though he has answers to give, realizes, like so little of us do, that he doesn't have that many answers. This is why our Bible is so perfectly built to face this everyday human conundrum. See, a lot of people think the Bible is just black and white, yes and no. And the Bible has a whole bunch of black and white, yes and no stuff in it. A whole bunch of stuff that is good for you, and a whole bunch of stuff that is bad for you. And we'll get into that in the series. But the Bible also is packed full of gray. And that just shocks long-term Christians. Gray? What could be gray? I'm so glad you asked. Hebrews 12 starts off this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first phrase you have to know that it's a training verse is the idea, let us run with endurance. Let us run. Let us train. Let us get out there and be a part. Let us have the responsibility. Let us have the respect. Let us be a part of our community and a part of our church. Let us train. But the part that people rarely pick up on is he talks about these things that cling closely, these personal things, like the rich young ruler, these custom things, and he says in the NIV version, same verse, let us throw off everything that hinders. That's another description of those things. And the sin that so easily entangles. Here's what it means to unpack some of this verse. Sin in the Bible is big giant nose. They're big red X's. Do not murder. Do not do this, do not do that. These are things that bring terror to your life and tearing to your soul. And the Bible is full of things that yes, you should do, things that are important, things that build foundation, things that, that, that you can harvest later on, things that can be passed on to the generation after you, not just the, the church, but your own family. It's full of those things, but isn't it profound that this verse says specifically that we are to lay aside every weight and sin, that there is something in our lives that clings close to us that is not sin. It is just not very helpful. Here's what that means when something in your life that's close to you isn't sin. It means that something that I don't wrestle with that isn't sin for my life could be sin for someone else's. This means not everybody is walking the exact same narrow road the same way. An incline for you could be beautiful, whereas a decline for me could be what I need. But we as Christians can't do that. We're like, no, sin is sin, and sin is sin. But this says there's other things that are leading close to us. There are other things that are weighing us down. That NIV verse describes it as everything that hinders. This is the gray in the verse that says God has custom training for people, and what we as Christians like to do is give advice to people on how they should only do inclines because that's what my father did, and that's what I do, and that's how we're made as Christ followers. And this person's life is dying because they should be on a decline. And when they do the thing they're built to do, not sin, just something that maybe hinders you, something that weighs you, then we judge them as less than or evil or not part of our community, and we ostracize them, and we push them out. And do you know the only way to go when you're on the narrow road and you've been pushed off by other narrow road travelers? The wide road, because they accept everybody till they cannibalize them. And then when people's lives are being consumed by the wide road they're living on, knowing that they wish they could've been part of the church, knowing that that's where God called them, do you know what they do? They blame the Christians and they blame the churches and they blame God because they tried that and nobody in the wide narrow road and in the church would listen to my story and allow me to play my part and allow me to be where I'm supposed to be because the only thing that mattered was what was sin in their life. And so they made what was sin in their life sin in everybody's life. And that's how you grow churches that all think the same, one big giant, echo chamber of everybody doing the same thing the same way because it's only people who sin like me. Nobody else belongs. and That's why this place is going to be slow growing and difficult because it is, I believe, the messiest church in town. We don't know is a really good phrase to say with, for what God's going to do next at Keset. Who's going to show up? I don't know. Where's it all going to go? <laughs> I don't know. Are you guys going uphill or downhill? Left or right? Into the mountains? Into the woods? Down in the valley? Are you guys all about the water? Or are you more about like the, the desert? What is, what? Everybody's trying to figure out what it is we do here. And the answer is I don't know because we're not in charge of what we do here. Our job is to reflect upon our own lives. The things that are sin for us and the things that weigh us down. Our job is to encourage the things that are clear based on the training in the Bible that we can come alongside other believers and go, this is only going to harm you. This is sin, but there are things in other people's lives that may not be sin for them, that might be sin for you. And we are supposed to train in order to tell the difference. You see, the Bible is writing to remind us that we are supposed to be people that other people see the love in. As we both encourage the things in their life they do well and speak to the things in their life that are harming them. But we can't be people who do that if we don't first do it for ourselves. You've got to be trained to be followed. Paul pushes this thought to the very, very highest level. And he says this, he's talking to this church that he's coaching, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. And then he says this really uh, out there, really bold phrase, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is a man who knew his calling in the spirit and his training in the scripture and who stepped confidently into the space he was supposed to this is the, the furthest end of where we are supposed to go this is how we are supposed to operate we are supposed to have answers once we realize we don't have any answers so again that's exactly what we're going to do inside this series we're going to train ourselves both for the general calling and so that we can be specifically qualified to be the people others follow to see the person of Jesus And I just wanna leave you with one really important truth as this series continues. One closing promise. You are not going to enjoy it. Not even a little bit. See, training can be painful. And it's awkward and foundation tearing work that can often feel more like discipline than encouragement. And guess what, that's okay. The Bible even backs this up. In our last verse, Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Painful rather than pleasant. That is what this series is going to feel like. That is the space we're walking into. And it's okay. I told pastor tom that i wouldn't say this so what i'm not going to tell you that some of you you won't survive this and that's okay because first and foremost we don't have enough parking for everybody as it is (laughs) and we might as well fill those parking spots or better yet leave those parking spots empty for guests of people who have been trained people who understand there's a cost to this thing people who understand that you're not just going to be able to just will your family into health or love them into the righteousness they're supposed to be. There's a cost to these conversations. There's a cost to understanding what it is specifically in your life that God wants you to set down so that you can have a specific calling. There's a cost to taking on the responsibility and often still not feeling the respect. There is a cost to being the hands and feet of Jesus because the hands and feet of Jesus were pierced by this world who did not understand why he wasn't Jewish enough, why he wasn't Roman enough, why he wasn't this enough or that enough. He was just really, really gray. He like ate dinner with sinners instead of church people. Gross. He like touched lepers and and spent time alone at a well with a woman of ill repute, by the way. Jesus allowed himself to enter into people's stories so he could love them, so he could train them, so that they could be the people they were supposed to be and so that they could be like him in other people's lives. And so yes, this will be painful rather than pleasant. And that is exactly why so many people will avoid it and waste their lives meandering out in the wide road of the void. But they don't have to. And it all begins with deciding how you want to respond to the question that Jesus has never stopped asking, will you follow me? And you don't even have to know where or what it's going to cost you. You just have to know that that you will, that enough's enough, that it's time, that you belong in this messy place, that you are part of this messy story your children up there right now are the future messy legacy that's gonna receive this entire place. We may have the next lead pastor up there right now. She's probably biting someone, pulling their hair. We don't know. (laughs) You're thinking, no, not my daughter. Yeah, get used to living in this building because you're gonna be here a long time. We are part of something bigger than ourselves, but we have to pay a cost more than we can by ourselves. And that's why we have to choose to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. I wanna, I I had a song that Chandra and I were, were talking about all week, and I asked her if she would just sing it over you. So that you could wrestle with this idea of following Jesus and what that might look like for you, specifically custom for you. And so I'm gonna have the worship team come out and I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna do that to start our series. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person in this room for the way that you are unwinding them, for the way that you are scooting up close next to them, for the way that you are convicting them, looking deep into their spiritual eyes, for the way that you are loving them. My heart, God, is to be a part of a church that seeks you in spite of the cost, that lays down its own agenda despite reputation or or anything else the, the, the world would say is important in exchange for you and the path you are leading. I'm grateful we can sit in this time right now and just lift this space to you, general and specific, as a church, community, and as individuals. We just raise it up and reflect upon you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: I'm done trusting in what's sinking These boats weren't built for me I'm done drifting on the water Of insecurity In the noise and the distractions In the storms of arguing I hear your voice calling And I'm gonna fix my on Jesus, walking with the one who walks on